So Lord, we want to thank you for Jill. Father, thank you for this woman of God who, Father, has been through the fire, been tested and been proved. Thank you that you've placed a word on the inside of her. Father, we have got ready ears to hear, our hearts to understand and wills to choose to do what you're telling us to in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. That was a nice welcome. Thank you very much. <laughs> right. That's a special place, isn't it? There we go. <clears throat> okay, just bear with me. <clears throat> okay. So, lots of changes there. Are we all ready for it? Are we? Are we all free? Are we all ready? Good. I can go home then, that's all right. I can actually, because God has really has gone before me anyway today with what's been happening. <clears throat> so, or should I say I'm tagging along behind God? That's more like it, isn't it? <laughs> That's more like it. Right, okay, I want to read this to you first, if you don't mind. And if you do, I'm going to anyway. Whoops. Excuse me, folks. I need more time. Okay, this is an article. Um, five major changes coming to the church. And it's by someone called John Burton, who has connections with IHOP. And I thought it was very interesting. Because what we've just been talking about, doing a little bit every day, this is his, he calls it, <clears throat> he calls the church the ancient and emerging church. And he says that because it's ancient, because it's rooted in scripture, means it's been going a long time. But also it's emerging because the biblical structure has been largely forsaken over the years. So he's saying this is what God is doing. Now we know God's building his church, don't we? Right? He's building it at, and he's building it at a rate of knots. So when I read this, when I heard this, I just thought, yeah, we need to be ready. So five changes coming to the church. Services, I'm not going to read it all, but services will become more like prayer meetings. Today, people tend to choose churches based on the appeal of the teaching and the worship, instead of the fervency of the prayer. The church is a house of prayer for all nations. Every person in the church will function as a burning intercessor, and the services will be marked by a unified growing of fiery prayer. It's right that we're praying more. It's right that we're putting that in place in our church. And when I say it's not our church, it's all church, but we're on the right track. So personal need will give way to personal mission. Again, people tend to use the church as a way to meet their personal needs instead of serving it as a minister of God. This is going to change. Instead of the church functioning as a hospital, it will once again function as a mission-driven military. The mission will take precedence. The saints will be equipped for service and not just for personal survival. That's what we're about. Teaching will be minimized while instruction is emphasized. Okay, that's a shift. 
Today, most churches focus on teaching principles of Scripture, providing truths that will help believers navigate their way through their lives and give them odd nuggets of biblical information. That's all good. It's all good. But teaching is a personal growth based, is personal growth based, right? It's personal. While instruction is a call to corporate action for the sake of the mission fulfillment. That's the difference. Personal growth, now this is for all of us, personal growth will be largely our responsibility between the services so that we can be ready to respond to the corporate instruction where we will receive our assignments. We will gather together most days of the week. Well, we're on track there, aren't we? Okay, the 24-7 church will again emerge as the church drives culture instead of reacting to culture. Cares of life will lose their power as we simplify our lives and put the corporate prayer and the mission ahead of most everything else. Worship will be supernaturally driven. And we know it is. There is a new sound coming to worship. And it's not simply a new style. There is a supernatural, otherworldly groan of intercessory worship that will explode out of the entire body. That's you. And as a breed of new, trembling worship leaders, lead the way into the shock and awe of the glory of God. I've had a bit of that today, haven't we? Just a touch, just a, just a teaser, as David say. We will no longer simply sit in a pew or stand with raised hands while the familiar song is sung. Yeah? Amen. Exactly. Exactly. That's it, isn't it? That's good stuff. So if any of us, and we might be, if any of us, when Dave put all that information on, started to think, oh, I don't know. I'm a bit, I don't know if I'm ready for that. Look, this is what God is building his church. God is building his church. And we need to be free, don't we? Because you know what's going to stop us? It's going to be us, isn't it? That's the only thing that's going to stop us engaging with this and being part of the church he's building is us. But it's okay. God has a plan. Right, he's already sent Jesus. Okay, we know this verse, don't we? Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. We know it, we love it. Who was he talking to? <clears throat> yeah, a bit of the background. He, it was Jesus who said it. He's there. He's actually just been finishing. He's just been talking about his death and prophesying his death and saying what it's going to be. And it says, and loads of people believed in him, right? So he was actually talking. Jesus said to those who believed him, so it isn't, it isn't, you know, it isn't we're free because we, we're Christians and, you know, you're not because this is to those who believed in him. So this is freedom for us. So what does freedom for us mean? That's the thing. So it says, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. So that's me. So what is it? Now, you see, they thought, oh, they said, well, we're Abraham's descendants. We've never been in bondage to anybody. How can you say you will be made free? 
So they had been born Abraham's descendants. They'd probably been in the synagogue all of their life. They'd ticked all the boxes. They'd done all the sacrifices. How can you say you'd be free? We might have been born in a Christian family, might we? We've gone to church. All those things. How can you say you need to be made free? They might have even had slaves of their own. Jesus answered them, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. All of a sudden, Jesus is now connecting sin with slavery. All of a sudden, he's saying it doesn't matter whether you're big or little, great or small, significant or insignificant, Whoever commits a sin is a slave of sin. Hmm. So, but therefore, if the Son sets you free, you shall be free indeed. Now, don't forget, he hadn't died yet. He's speaking this because he's actually saying, I'm making a way. He's actually saying, I've got, I'm going before. So let's just have a look at this. Therefore, if the Son sets you free, you shall be free indeed. Now, we've got two frees. Now, the first free... <clears throat> means to make free and to set at liberty. So if the Son makes you free, now the Son is Jesus. This is a transition thing, and this is something we cannot do on our own. It's got to be Jesus. So he, he's saying, if somebody's bound up, if somebody's in prison, they can't let themselves out. This is something that has to be done. So it's to make free. It's to move from one state to another. It's to set at liberty. All right, the second free you shall be free indeed. Now this means unrestrained, to go at pleasure. I love that phrase. To go at pleasure, pleasure in the church. You are unrestrained. I want to be unrestrained. You're exempt from obligation or liability. You are not a slave, you are not bound, and you're at liberty. So if the sun sets you free, if he does, if he moves you and brings you out of where you are, you will be unrestrained. Now, don't forget we're talking about sin here. That's what he's talking about. He's just said, if you sin, you go into slavery, but if the sun sets you free. And then just to make sure you get it, he puts indeed on the end. Okay. Now, indeed means really, truly, in reality, in point of fact, absolute opposite of what is pretending, fictitious, false, or conjectural. That which is true. So look what he's saying. He's saying if the son, if Jesus sets you free from sin, which he did on the cross, he hadn't then, but if he, if he sets you free, right, you will truly be unrestrained. You will truly be free. You will really be free in reality. In point of fact, you will not have to pretend or make it up or lie about it. You will actually truly be free. Amen. That's the truth, right? That little verse says all of that. It's true, it's real, and it's there for us because now we know Jesus has died on the cross. Now we know it's a done deal. Now we can do that. So how does that work out for us? How does that work out? We are free from our past. We are free in the present. And we are free for the future. Okay? So... We are free from our past. Now, please look at your hearts because this is there for you. You are free from who you were. 
You are free from who you were yesterday. When you woke up this morning, guess what? You, were, you can be free. You're free from who you were. You're free from who you were five minutes ago. Right? Jenny told us to make a repentance of, of uh, earlier. You're free from that. You can be free from who you were five minutes ago. It seems simple, but it's true with God. You can walk into a room one way and out another. You can be free from word curses. You can be free from what people have spoken and said about you all of your life and have spoken over you. And you can be free from what you've said about yourself and what you've believed and what you speak over yourself. You can be free from condemnation. You can be free from guilt over the things that you've done or guilt over the things you haven't done. You're free from condemnation. You're free from accusation and shame. The enemy is so, so, so good at that. Right? You can be free. In fact, you are free. Jesus has paid the price for it. Jesus has paid the price. Please, please, if you are, even just before we carry on, if you are not free in any area of you, your past, this is the easy bit. Jesus has paid the price. His blood is there for you. Please see me afterwards. If you are not free in any of these areas, if there's anything that has jumped into your mind, see me afterwards. See Irene afterwards. Because that's important. You can be free from who you were to be all that you can be. So we can be free in the present. You can be free to do stuff. Right? Anybody's think, anybody thinks... Oh, I'd love to do that. I'd love to be able to do that, but I can't. You can. You're free to do stuff. You're free to do it. Because the thing that stops you, like I said at the beginning, the thing that stops you doing something is very usually you. It's not a factual thing. It's you. So you can be free to do stuff. And when you've done stuff, you can be free to get it wrong and not do it very well and have to do it again but it doesn't matter because you can be free in yourself to do that you can be free to forgive you can be free to forgive yourself when you've got it wrong you can be free to uh, forgive anybody else that has done you wrong and it not land on your shoulders that's freedom That's individual freedom. That's how the church should function without offence. You can be free to be loved and accepted. And you can be free to to respond freely to him. And that's the thing. That's so important. In the present, in that place of worship, if you're feeling restricted, if you're feeling like you can't open up to him, you can be free. And again, the thing that's stopping you is something in here. And you know, he'll put his finger on it, he'll deliver you, you'll be set free because there's a place for that. That's what God's done. That's what he's did through Jesus. So for you free for the future, you're free to be, dream big. <laughs> We're starting to dream big, aren't we? We're getting a little bit of big, but God's going, look, look what else there is. You can be free you to be secure in your future, in your big dreams. You know, when we go into our future, we can be free to be secure in it. We are secure in our future. He's our security. 
nothing about all the economical things or Brexit or governmental stuff. He is our security. There is nothing that he cannot sort out, straighten up, pull down, move and shift to make us. There's nothing. We can be free to choose rightly. That's so important. We'll come back to that later. That's the main thing. As a Christian, as a body, as a church, we have the freedom to choose. The freedom to choose rightly. The freedom to remain free when you are free. That's a biggie, isn't it? When, that's a good one, isn't it? When you've been set free from something, yeah? You can stay free. You can walk in freedom every day. And that freedom will inspire and provoke others. Amen. That's good. There are absolutely no limits. No limits in God. No limits in your freedom and how free you can be and what you can do with him. Absolutely. Right now, as, as you know, normally in the Bible... There's a, there's a part that says one thing and then you find a part that says another, don't you? And you go, this is a bit confusing. So we're going to tackle that because we're all free. God says we're absolutely free. But Paul says in Romans that everyone is a slave to someone or to something. And you think, oh, that's interesting. That's a bit of a, a contradiction. It really isn't. But we're going to go there now. So Romans six fifteen to 23 I am going to read it in the um, Passion, when I've had a drink. Because I think it it reads nicely. So we're all free. God says we're free. So Romans 6, 15 says, So what do we do then? What do we do then with our freedom? Should we sin to our heart's content since there's no law to condemn us anymore? What a terrible thought. Don't you realize that grace frees you to choose, that word again, your own master? But be careful <coughs> for, be, oh, sorry, but choose carefully. For you, sur- for you surrender yourself, you become a servant, bound to the one that you choose to obey. If you choose to love sin, it will be your master. And it will own you and it will reward you with death. But if you choose to love and obey God, he will lead you into perfect righteousness. God is pleased with you for in the past, that's who you were, you were servants of sin. But now your obedience is heart deep and your life is being molded by truth through the teaching that you are devoted to. And now you celebrate your freedom from your former master, sin. You've left its bondage, and now God's perfect righteousness holds power over you as his loving servants. Down to 21. So tell me, what benefit ensued from doing those things that you're now ashamed of? If left, you, sorry, <clears throat> it left you with nothing but a legacy of shame and death. But now, as God's loving servants, you live in joyous freedom from the power of sin. So consider the benefits you now enjoy. You are brought deeper into the experience of true holiness that ends with eternal life. For, God, for sin's meager wages is death, but God's lavish gift is eternal life found in your union with our Lord Jesus, the Anointed One. 
So all believers have the freedom to choose life now, today. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. I've put that up there because that's the one I know. That's the one I'm used to. And I think we all know it, don't we? So we have the freedom to choose life. Now, this is a bit like the people that Jesus was talking to in my first example. We might say, well, actually, wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life. Mm, Yeah, okay, I can tick the boxes. I'm a Christian. I've been baptized. I've got eternal life. I've ticked the box, so when I die, I'm going to be in heaven. I've got eternal life. That's done. So like they were thinking, well, you know, we're Abraham's descendants. We might think we've got it sorted. We've made a commitment to God. We've ticked the box. We've got eternal life. What more is there to do? The, the phrase eternal life is used about 42 times in the New Testament. 11 of which, which is not all, but a significant number, that is used in the vein of there is something to attain. So eternal life to be attained. Something to get, something to get a hold of. And that's the part that I'm trying to get to here. Because we have eternal life when we're dead, but I'm not dead, I'm alive. Right, And that bit for me to press into and to get comes in the freedom to choose life today and every day. At the Bible times, being a slave in the ancient world meant being owned by a master. Okay, Now, whether the slave obeyed or not, it didn't change their status. Okay, So I'm a Christian... I've given my life to the Lord. I've been saved. I'm born again. I'm a Christian. Whether I obey or not, I'm still a Christian. I'm still born again. I've still ticked my box. I'm going to heaven. Okay? But what it did do, it affected their relationship with their master. So it didn't change their status as a slave, but it affected their relationship with their master. And so the same with us. We have a choice to choose freedom. We have a choice to be free. We have a choice to obey him. And we have a choice that affects our relationship with him and how we move. And when he says we're going to do things differently, whether we can just go with that and move with him and and flow with him, and it not be an issue, and it not be a problem. It's our relationship with him. It's, it's, uh, it's, we, you know, we want, we're doing this prophetic development. That's your relationship with him. It's not a technique. Jenny and Maria, and that, they're not going to tell you three steps to be able to do this better. It's your relationship with him. If you're not doing that, if you're not doing the homework, if you're not going home between the, the prophetic development weekends and getting alone with him and, and working it and working it and learning how to be with him, it's not going to work. It's our relationship. So we've already talked today about, and I think Dave said we're not religion to religion. 
whatever. But we're not into religion. This is not a religious service. This is not a religious church. This is a church of relationship. So let's have a look at these. There's a few thoughts. So religion would bring death. Relationship brings life. This is what you've got with God. This is what you've got with Jesus. This is what the blood brought freedom is all about. Religion says you must. Relationship says will you. Religion condemns you. And, but relationship convicts you. Now they both might feel a little bit the same. Because it's a bit oh, like that. But one is to keep you there down. And, the, and one is to pull you up. And to say, yes, but look, come on, let me get a hold of you. Yes, you've done that, but come on. That's what it's about. That's the relationship. That's the sort of church we want to live in and with. Okay, in religion, you do stuff out of duty. In relationship, you do stuff out of a desire. Because you want to. There's protocol and requirement in religion. There's rules and there's regulations. And you have to do them. But in a relationship, there's a pleasure and a response to that other person, to that other thing that helps you flow, that helps you. In religion, there's a structure. And it's usually some, something like a hierarchical structure. And you're never usually up at the top there, are you? You're down here. All right, that's the structure. In relationship, there's a synergy. That's shoulder to shoulder. That's moving in time, in flow with what the Holy Spirit is doing. In religion, you are controlled. There is a control. In relationship, there's a cooperation. In religion, there's judgment and in in relationship there's joy and I've put on the journey because that's what it is it's a journey in religion you get something wrong and you get stomped on right and you and that's it you're done but there's a joy because you got it wrong and like we said earlier you're convicted you're pulled up and it's a journey because you're going to go on until you get it right so religion brings a curse but relationship brings covenant it brings covenant Those who hold on to a structure or a ministry instead of Jesus himself will not be willing to go where God is leading. Those who hold on to a structure or a ministry and put their faith in a structure or a ministry or a ministry gifting or anything at all that is not Jesus Christ himself, will not be willing to go where God is leading. And that's a simple fact. Okay? No condemning anybody and not pointing the finger. I'm just telling you that if we want to go where God is leading, we cannot put our faith in a structure, in ourselves, in a ministry, in anything else but Jesus himself. Because that's where we're going. Jesus is going, is building his, God's building his church. He's done it. God's building his church. We have to be free. We have to be flexible to go where God is going, to do what God is doing, to say what God is saying. And that's why. And so, you know, yes, we've already heard this is 
I'll be gone. I'm going on a plane tomorrow. I won't be here for the head of the year. Right? I won't be here. But wherever we are, we're all in this together. We're all transitioning from the old into the new. We're in a time of walking into the new. And so it's, it's really important. And I say to you, it's really important that you make sure you're free. And that's your responsibility because I can't do it with you. You can't do it for me. I wish you could. But it's my responsibility to say, what is it, God? Is there anything in me that will stop me? Stop me going where you lead me. Stop me doing what you're telling me to do. Doing stuff. Is there anything that holds me back? So therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. So therefore, if the Son makes you free and me free, we shall be free indeed. And that's how we want to go into our new season. Okay? So I'd just like to say, if there's anybody here, so I've said earlier, please come and see me. If there's anything from your past, if there's anything in your present, if there's any fear of the future, if you want prayer for anything this morning, I'd invite you to come down to the front. I don't know if we need worship team back up. But if there's anybody that would want us to pray with you, we have amazing people in this place that can uh, pray with you, lay hands on you. And, and, um, and speak a freedom over your life. And you engage with that freedom. And you believe, you believe what God says about you. You believe that if the Son will make you free, you will be free indeed. So I invite you to come down to the front or, or definitely speak to me afterwards or Irene if it's something that you think is, might be a little bit more in depth. Because sometimes they are. But that's okay. Not impossible. So, Amen.